The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 148, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heavens of heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven, and he has exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, of the children of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. Okay, we are in Judges 6, 17 through 24. This is entitled Gideon, Judge of Israel. It's part two. So starting in verse 17. Then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot. Then he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abizarites. Okay, I challenged you last week, uh, just before communion, to guess who Gideon pictures and maybe what this passage is revealing. Anybody take the challenge and want to come up and do the sermon? Okay, let's get into it. In the previous sermon, we saw the narrative carefully advanced to allow for Gideon's understanding of who he was talking to. The words were purposefully vague for our learning as well. A messenger appeared to Gideon with a proclamation concerning Gideon's abilities. There was no definite article to indicate who this messenger was. Gideon's respectful response indicated that he thought he was talking to some unknown person. Later, it clearly identified the one talking to him as Jehovah. Gideon responded with the word Adonai, 
honorably indicating he understood the message to be the Lord. It is clear to the reader that the text identifies this one as Jehovah. With that understood and knowing that the Lord incarnate is none other than the Lord Jesus, we must ask, how did this come about? How could Jesus appear in his own history to direct events concerning himself? It is a conundrum that Hollywood movies work with all the time. One great movie about such an event is Somewhere in Time, starring Christopher Reeve. He was living his life when an old lady came up to him, handed him a timepiece, and asked him to come back to her. He eventually found out who she was and determined to travel into the past to be with her. This is known as a temporal paradox. If it was his timepiece, but she handed it to him, then when did the timepiece come into existence? There are various temporal paradoxes, the bootstrap paradox, the grandfather paradox, the Hitler paradox, and so on. The Bible actually presents some of those paradoxes because Jesus appears in his own history causing events to come about. But how could these things be if he didn't yet exist when he directed things to lead to himself or to events that allowed the right conditions for his incarnation? Our text verse comes from John chapter 8. It is verses 56 through 58. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. There are obvious problems with the paradoxes I mentioned. One being that we cannot time travel. So attempting to answer them becomes nothing more than a mental exercise. But suppose we discovered how to go back in time. People have proposed various ways of explaining how these things could still work out. Some answers are the self-healing hypothesis, the multiverse, the erased time hypothesis, and so on. Take time to read up on those different paradoxes. You'll see that none of them explain what happens in Scripture. So how could Jesus have appeared in his own history if he did not yet exist? Or how could he have come to exist at his birth if he already existed in his own history? The theories that have been submitted to answer the time travel conundrum cannot explain this because they fail to recognize who Jesus is. When we understand who he is, then we find that such things are certainly possible. Jesus is God. He is not limited by time, space, or matter. He created those things. For him to appear in his own past in order to direct events that will lead to his own appearing is no longer contradictory. Rather, though quite astonishing, it is certainly possible. Jesus appeared in this meeting with Gideon. That account continues in our verses today. Great things such as the time-traveling Messiah are to be found in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three separate thoughts for you today. The first is, I will wait. It's verses 17 through 20. Verse 17, then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, the words form a humble appeal. Vayomer alav im na masati chen be'enecha and says unto him, If I pray, I found grace in your eyes. Gideon has addressed the messenger as Adonai, 
my Lord. That was in verse 15. The Lord has confirmed that he will be with Gideon and that he shall defeat the Midianites as one man. That's verse 16. Gideon was confident enough to address this man as the Lord, but not confident enough to either one, take him at his word, or two, believe his own senses. The latter is likely. Just as Peter wasn't sure if what he saw in the Sea of Galilee was actually Jesus, so Gideon is probably questioning the reality of the encounter. Hence, verse 17, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Inserting the words, it is, as many translators do, makes it sound as if Gideon is doubting the source. Rather, va'asita li ot sa'ata medaber imi, and make to me sign that you speaking with me. Rather than doubting the source, he is more likely doubting himself because he is talking with the Lord. Then it would be expected that he would die. As for the word ot or sign, it is something that stands for something else. It is not a sign in and of itself. With this stated, he continues, verse 18, do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. Al na tamush mize ad boi elecha vehoseti et minchati vehiakti lefanecha. Not, I pray, depart from this until I come unto you and bring out my offering and set it to your face. The respectful language continues, and the note of a mincha, or offering, indicates an offering of one to another who is greater, such as the offering of Ehud to Eglon in Judges 3.15, but also is an offering to the Lord, as in Genesis 4.3-5, and as is required in the law. In this case, Gideon is undoubtedly making an offering to the Lord. There would be no reason for him to do so otherwise. Verse 18 continues, and he said, I will wait until you come back. Vayomar anochi eshev ad shuvecha, and says, I remain until you return. The Lord agrees to the appeal and will remain under the terebinth tree while Gideon prepares his offering, remembering that it is a time of extreme deprivation, even a small offering would be considered generous. And yet, Gideon goes further. Verse 19, so Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. Vegidon ba vayaas gedi izim veephat kema matzot. And Gideon went and makes kid, goats, and ephah, flour, unleavened bread. The animal is described as a gedi, a kid. That comes from an unused root signifying to cut off. In the eight times it has been used in scripture to this point, one can get the sense of finality or a matter being decided, cut off. As an example, it says in Genesis 38, then he turned to her by the way and said, please let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? And he said, I will give you a young goat, a geddi from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat, the Gedi, by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand. But he did not find her. 
Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot who is openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of the place said, There was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, Let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat, Gedi, and you have not found her. The goat is what finishes the matter between the two concerning the agreement. As she was not there to receive the kid, the matter was not completed. The next word, izim, signifies goats. It is the term used for the sin offering, including that mandated on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, verse 5. Next is the ephat kema matzot, or ephah, flour, unleavened bread. It is finely ground flour of a particular size that is prepared into cakes without leaven. This would make a large amount of bread. The standard amount for a single person to eat each day was one omer, or one-tenth of an ephah. That's Exodus 16. This one-tenth of an ephah is also what was frequently the required offering to the Lord at the tabernacle. Of this, Matthew Poole misses the point. He says, of an ephah of flour, to wit, out of the choicest part of a whole ephah, as also he brought to him the best part of a kid dressed. For a whole ephah and a whole kid had been very superfluous and improper to provide for and set before one man. There's nothing superfluous here. It wasn't just a portion of the whole that was presented. It is a magnanimous offering in the time of severe deprivation. Gideon is not doubting the Lord. He is confirming that it is the Lord, but he is simply not sure of what is in himself. Verse 19 continues, the meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot. The words are more precise. Habasar sam basal ve hamarak sam baparur. The flesh put in the basket and the broth put in the pot. Here is a word found only in this and the next verse, marak or broth. It comes from the verb marak to scour or polish. Thus, it is the juice stewed out of the meat as if rinsed out. Now, that ought to tell you something. Think about it. Verse 19 continues, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The words are exceedingly precise. Vayotze elav el tachat ha elah vayagash and brought unto him unto the terebinth and comes near. The entire scene is carefully explained as Gideon returns to the Lord. Using the word nagash or draw near reveals its own sense of allowance on the part of the Lord. In Leviticus, it says of the priests, no man of the descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect shall come near, nagash, to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near, nagash, to offer the bread of his God. Likewise, there is a sense of expectation on the part of Gideon. That is similar to the account of Jacob and Isaac in Genesis 27. It says there, Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. The use of the word indicating nearness is given to elicit the bond that is being formed between the two as the account proceeds. Now that Gideon has approached him, Verse 20, the angel of God said to him, 
Rather, Vayomer Elav Malach Ha Elohim, and says unto him, Messenger, the God. The use of the article before God is expressive. It is used when referring to the one true God in relation to man. But more especially, it is in relation to those who are in a right relationship with him, or it is used to contrast those who are not in a right relationship with him. This is the only time in the chapter that the word messenger is affixed to the word Elohim or God. The offering is accepted, and Gideon, cutter off, stands in a right relationship with God's messenger. As such, he stands in a right relationship with God. It is wholly apparent what is being conveyed. The messenger has been identified as the Lord. He has been acknowledged as such by Gideon. The messenger has accepted the Lord's offering, meaning he is the Lord. And the Lord is the messenger of God. This human standing before him is Jesus, the Lord God incarnate. Therefore, verse 20 continues, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. The verbs are imperative. Kach et habasar ve'et hamatzot ve'hanach el hasela halaz. Ve'et hamarak spoke vayaas ken. Take the flesh and the unleavened bread and put upon the rock this and the broth pour and did thus. There is a new word to specify the rock, halaz. It is a common pronoun specifying this or that. This is not a fellowship offering where Gideon would partake of it with the Lord. Rather, by designating the rock and having Gideon place the offer on it, the rock has become an altar upon which a burnt offering is made. That is next scene. How can I know if the message is true? Can it really save my people, Israel? What is it that they need to do? Is this the message that will make things go well? The Lord of peace is there for you if you are willing to trust and accept. This is all that he asks you to do. Unlike the law, there is a single precept. Have faith in the word and you will be saved. And God will again look with favor on you. No matter how you once behaved, you will be forgiven and granted life anew. Our second thought today is the Lord of peace. It's verses 21 through 24. Verse 21, then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And sends, messenger Jehovah, extremity, the support staff, which in his hand and touches the flesh and the unleavened bread. The word translated as support staff Mishenah is rarer than the words usually used to describe a staff. It is a supporting staff, something one leans on or is assisted with. It is the feminine form of Mishen, which signifies a support or staff. It says in 2 Samuel 22, They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support, my Mishen. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. That is then derived from the word sha'an, which signifies support, lean, rely on, and so on. For example, from Isaiah 50, who among you fears the Lord, who obeys the voice of his servant, who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely, sha'an, upon his God. As the Lord doesn't need a staff to support himself, 
It is forming a picture for us to consider. The Lord is the support. The Lord is the rock that becomes the altar of sacrifice that sanctifies the offering. The Lord is reflected in the elements of the offering. The Lord is the consuming fire that will rise from the rock, and so on. These things continue to be reflected in the next words. Verse 21 going on, And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And ascended the fire from the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened bread. The fire consuming the offering indicates acceptance of it by the Lord. Each aspect of the scene before Gideon reveals aspects of the coming Christ. These things are all anticipatory of Israel's future. Verse 21 continues, And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Rather, Umalach Yehovah Halach Me'anav, and Messenger Yehovah departed from his eyes. Again, there is no article before Messenger. Despite this, he has already been identified as the Lord, Yehovah, and Messenger, the God. It is hard to understand how commentaries deny the obvious nature of what is being conveyed to us. As for how he departed, that is left unstated. It can be assumed that it was immediate and it was complete. He was there, and then he wasn't. Verse 22, now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. It is emphatic. Vayar Gidon Kimalach Yehovah Hu, and sees Gideon for messenger Yehovah He. If there were any lingering doubts, either about the identification of the one standing before him or about the reliability of his own senses, they are now ended. He fully perceives what has transpired. Verse 22 continues, So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Vayomer Gedon, Aha, Adonai Yehovah, Ki alken ra'iti malach Yehovah panim el panim. And says Gideon, Alas, Adonai Yehovah, for upon thus I have seen messenger Yehovah face unto face. The sentence is elliptical. Gideon is suddenly terror-stricken at the realization of what has occurred, calling out, Alas! The omitted words of the ellipsis are, For I shall surely die. It was taken as an axiom that if one were to see the Lord face to face, death would be the result. This is not true, nor can it be inferred from Scripture that this would be the case if this was a created angel. The words clearly indicate that he believes he has seen Jehovah. Further, the words, for, upon, thus, are an explanation of what has occurred. He had asked, and make to me sign that you, speaking with me, what he beheld, for, upon, thus, was that sign. There could be no doubt. Because of this, he feels as if doom is going to immediately descend upon him. He has personally faced the manifestation of the Lord in human flesh. This is especially poignant because the words panim el panim, or face unto face, when in relation to the Lord, are only found twice so far in Scripture. First, from Exodus 33:11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. And then again in Deuteronomy 34:10. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face 
to face. Panim el panim. The only other time the sentiment is close to this is when Moses reminded the people that the Lord spoke to them face in face during the giving of the Ten Commandments at Sinai. Because of the overwhelming incident, Gideon is beside himself with terror. However, words of comfort come to him. Verse 23, then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Vayomer lo, Yehovah, shalom lecha, al tirah, lo tamut. And says to him, Yehovah, peace to you, not fearing, not dying. Though he is departed from sight, the Lord, Yehovah, is still present to make the audible pronouncement of peace, reconciliation, and surety of life. The purpose of the Lord coming in human form is that Gideon would live. However, the term pre-incarnate Christ is a logical contradiction. I'm sure you've all heard that many times. Don't ever use that term. It doesn't make any sense. For example, Verse by Verse Ministry International says, a messenger is one who is sent from someone else to deliver a message. And of course, Jesus fits this perfectly. He says in John 8, 18, I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. <laughs> Just as the Father sent Jesus, so also did he send the angel of the Lord. Based on all of the above, we conclude that the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus was the angel of the Lord. Their thinking is correct, but the terminology is not. If the Lord appeared as a human, even eating with those he visited, such as in Genesis 18, then he was incarnate. The words pre-incarnate or prior to the incarnation is therefore illogical. If this is the messenger of the Lord, it is the Lord incarnate. As this messenger is the second member of the Godhead, then it is the Lord Jesus. But Jesus' incarnation occurred at his birth to Mary. Therefore, as difficult as it is to understand, Jesus is appearing in his own history. It is he alone who can bring the peace that he now speaks unto Gideon. Because of this, verse 24, So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. Vayiven sham Gidon Mizbeach Yehovah. And builds there, Gideon, altar to Jehovah, and calls to him, or to it, Jehovah Shalom. The name is based on the previous words, and says to him, Jehovah, peace, Jehovah Shalom, to you, not fear, not dying. Gideon now calls out to either the Lord, or to the altar, which is a masculine word, Jehovah Shalom. Either way, it is an acknowledgment that the altar is the witness of peace between the two. As for the name Jehovah Shalom, it means the Lord of peace. The Lord is peace or the peace of the Lord. The thought, regardless of how it is translated, is a reflection of Jesus' words found in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. With that, the words take us back to verse 11 and forward in time as well. Verse 24 finishes with, To this day it is still an Ofra of the Abizarites. Ad hayom hazeh odenu be'afarat avi ha'etzri. Until the day, the this, it yet an Ofra, father the Ezrite. The altar remains as a testament to the peace established in of the dust, which is what Ofra means, Father the Helper, which is what 
Father the Ezraite means. The offering is made and it is set forth to God. The body of Christ for the sins of the world. Let us accept the message and applaud as the redemption of man is there unfurled. Great is the Lord and mighty to save. In his word, the power is made known. Toward the gospel, he instructs us to behave by simply believing what the words have shown. The Lord is peace offered to you, and it is offered also to the nation of Israel. Simply do what the gospel says to do, and for all who believe, things will go well. Our third thought today is pictures of Christ. Okay, has anybody figured out what Gideon pictures yet? Because I just told you in the poem. Israel will someday be saved. We can take that as an axiom. Paul says as much in Romans chapter 11. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This is not speaking of the church. Paul is writing to the Gentile church in Rome, and he makes it an absolute distinction between Israel and the Gentile-led church. Despite the horrifically poor commentaries of replacement theology that have been written over the years. How will Israel be saved? The answer is seen in our passage concerning Gideon. Gideon is the cutter, coming from the word gada, to cut off. We can find that. Let me take you to Judges 21.6, just so you know that I'm not making that up. Judges 21.6 says, The children of Israel said, Who is there among all of the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly to the Lord? For they had made a great oath concerning anyone who had not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. Cut off is what it says, the word Gada. So that's where that word comes from. All right, there. Just as Deborah anticipated the New Testament coming from Diathiki, a covenant or testament, which is a feminine noun, Gideon now anticipates the Euagelion, or gospel, meaning the good news. This is a neuter noun in the Greek, but that is not surprising. Hebrew does not have a neuter noun. And more, the gospel is one of grace, which is a feminine noun. Thus, to express Gideon's role, a Greek neuter is brilliantly used to express what is pictured. The connection to his name is found in Romans 11, verse 27, which said, When I take away their sins, the word is a pharaoh to take away or cut off. For example, Matthew 26, 51, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off a Pharaoh, his ear. Paul says the sins of Israel will be taken away. They will be cut off someday. This is what Gideon will do. In Israel, the gospel is almost non-existent. After the rapture, at least for a time, it will be missing entirely, but that will change. In verse 11, the messenger of the Lord, Jesus, sat under the terebinth tree in Ophrah. Sitting is for rendering judgment. The tree signifies strength. Ophrah signifies of the dust. It speaks of man, especially in his fallen state. From Genesis 3, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust afar you are, and to dust afar you shall return. This was said to be of Joash, father, the Ezraite, or Jehovah has bestowed my father, the helper. The words speak of Jesus, who was bestowed by God, the father, who helps the fallen state of man. Gideon was hiding in the wine press, a place of judgment from Midian, place of judgment. The gospel is hidden in Israel at this time. 
Gideon was beating the wheat there instead of threshing and winnowing. It is a clear reference to the gospel being hidden away, resulting in very little fruit from its labors in Israel. However, in verse 12, the Lord appears to him, calling him a mighty man of valor and noting that the Lord is with him. How can that be in his state? Gideon even fails to see the connection, calling him Adoni, my Lord, as to a human. The gospel is claimed by Israel to be simply of human origin. In verse 13, Gideon brings in Egypt, or double trouble, and the miracles that have occurred at the time of the Exodus. At least they have the law, and that had brought them nothing but grief. There Israel stands, forsaken and delivered into the palm or soul of Midian, place of judgment. Keep thinking of the tribulation period. This is all building up to that point, and the gospel will suddenly appear in Israel. They are utterly defeated by their own state under the law. However, in verse 14, the Lord says to Gideon, the gospel, go in your power this. As noted then, the Lord indicates that the power Gideon, the gospel, already possesses is sufficient for the calling he is directed to. It will save Israel from the palm or soul of the crushing power of the place of judgment. What is it that's going to save Israel out of the tribulation period? The gospel. Jesus being portrayed in the gospel, they calling on him, and Jesus coming back to save them. That is what saves them. It's exactly what is being pictured. Look again at the comments I gave you last week in verse 14. He has identified Gideon, he has selected him, and he is sending him. Notice the structure of the words. Gideon has questioned the Lord's doings. The Lord then turns around and claims he will perform again. Perform again what? He's already saved the church. Now he's going to perform again by saving Israel. Not hollow from Egypt ascended us, Jehovah, and now has forsaken us, Jehovah, and given us in palm, Bekaf, Midian. That is Gideon speaking. And then down a little bit, it said, and shall save Israel. Instead of has forsaken us, he shall save Israel from palm, Mikaf, from the palm of Midian, the tribulation period. Not hollow, I sent you. That's Jehovah speaking. The law that came from the delivery from Egypt only leads to being forsaken. The gospel will save. With that, verse 15 reveals Gideon's, meaning the gospel's, hesitancy. But this time, he at least accepts that the messenger is Jehovah, calling him Adonai. He notes that he is from the dangling in Manasseh and the insignificant in his father's house. Manasseh, to forget and from a debt, is a picture of Christ's work in regard to sin. It pictures the state of the gospel in Israel and in the house of Joash, Jehovah has bestowed. It is almost completely ineffective. Can you disagree with that, Sergio? Right now in Israel, is the gospel very effective? Not at all. It's very ineffective. There's a few messianics in relation to an entire nation of people. However, in verse 16, the Lord, Jehovah, says that Gideon, the gospel, will defeat the place of Midian as one man. It will be completely effective in saving Israel from the tribulation period, as our closing verse will reveal. In order to confirm that this message is true, verse 17 shows Gideon asking for an oath, a sign that is truly from Jehovah. Therefore, in verse 18, he petitions the Lord to wait while he prepares an offering. The Lord agrees. This is where Israel will finally knuckle down and check what they have rejected for the past 2,000 years. 
In his offering found in verse 19, he prepares a kid, goats. The symbolism is the cutting off of sin by the goat of atonement, anticipating Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement goat sacrifice. If you don't understand that, go back and watch the Leviticus 16 sermons, and you'll see it 100% perfectly clearly. It is what finishes the matter of sin. That goat for Israel under the law anticipated Jesus finishing the matter of sin for all humanity. The full if of the flour of unleavened bread speaks of the entirely sinless nature of Christ, the bread of life found in John 6. The inclusion of the marak or broth indicates the full atonement offered by Christ's death. His blood was shed, meaning he died. Thus, his body was a perfect atonement for sin. The word coming from the verb marak, meaning to scour or polish, points to his flesh being fully purged of life, fully acceptable as an offering to God. That's why that unique word is found in this passage only. It's picturing Christ having completely died, an acceptable offering to God. The next wording was exceedingly precise. And brought unto him, unto, under the terebinth, and comes near. The terebinth comes from the feminine of ayil, a ram, and that from ul, strength. The strength of the gospel is found in the offering of Christ. It is brought forward to Jehovah as Gideon, the gospel, draws near. The words could not be more perfectly described than this verse from Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. In verse 20, the unique phrase, messenger, the God, is used. As noted, the use of the article is expressive. It is used when referring to the one true God in relation to man, but more especially, it is in relation to those who are in a right relationship with him. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of a man in a right relationship with God. Therefore, he directs that the flesh and the unleavened bread, both picturing him, be placed upon the particular rock, picturing him, and the broth, picturing him, poured out on it. It is all to be a whole burnt offering to God, just as Christ was to be fully offered to him. It says in Hebrews 10, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, meaning the law of Moses, that he may establish the second, meaning the gospel. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. With that, the fire rose from the rock and completely consumed the offering. It is finished, and it is fully accepted by God. Then the Lord departed out of Gideon's sight. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Israel is going to have to go to the word. Christ departed, and Gideon, meaning the gospel, is left as the witness. From there, verse 22 noted, and sees Gideon, for messenger Jehovah, he. The gospel reveals itself as the messenger of the Lord. From 1 Corinthians 1, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When Israel finally sees the gospel for what it is, 
Gideon assumes that role here in this typology, the terror of having missed it for so long will fill them. In other words, in their acceptance of what the word says, they will be infused with the gospel and will fearfully acknowledge, alas, Adonai Yehovah, for upon thus I have seen messenger Yehovah face unto face. Just as Moses saw the Lord face unto face and Israel vicariously through him, so Israel through the gospel will see him face to face. The terror will be great. Hence the ellipsis found in this verse. Their unworthy state before the Lord will make them feel they will surely die, just as it had done to innumerable souls over the millennia. However, the words of the Lord reflecting the words of Jesus are, Shalom Lecha, peace to you. Israel is not to fear, they will not die. To complete the active part of the verses, Gideon, meaning the gospel, built an altar, calling it Yehovah Shalom, peace of the Lord. From Romans 10, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The gospel is the peace of the Lord because it is what grants peace to those who come to him through it. With that, the final note of the passage said, until the day, the this, it yet an Ophrah, father the Ezrite. The altar remains as a testament to the peace found in of the dust, meaning man bearing Adam's image in Father the Helper. From 1 Corinthians 15, the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. The pictures could not be any clearer, nor could they be more perfectly set up in anticipation of what lies ahead for Israel. The pattern that began with the first judge, Othniel, has steadily unfolded in the redemptive scene laid out in world history. Othniel, who battled Cushan Rishathaim, pictured the Gentiles carrying the message of Jesus Christ until the house of Israel and the house of Judah would accept that message. It was a type of introduction to what lay ahead. It gave a snapshot of what would occur after the work of Christ, even before the work was detailed. Next, Ehud really gave it to Eglon. It was a picture of the complete atonement of transgressions of the law. It was also noted that this work was fully sufficient to save both Jews and Gentiles. Shamgar gave a brief but complimentary display of how to appropriate the work of Christ. After that, Deborah, the New Testament, referred to the dispensation of grace, which is represented by the Gentile-led church. Judges 5, the song of Deborah, was a rejoicing over the events of Judges 4. They were placed into a poetic narrative, gloriously revealing the obvious pleasure that the Lord takes in the work of Christ and in his church. But, as noted, the church will end at the rapture. I know people deny that, but I don't care what they think. That is what the typology gives us. The church age will end, and then the first 10 verses of chapter 6 revealed the tribulation period, after the church age. It is at that time that Israel will finally accept the gospel. Everything has been perfectly ordered to reveal the continuing redemptive narrative as outlined in the dispensational model. 
I didn't make any of it up and I didn't know what was happening until I started doing the Judges 6 sermon. And I said, look, we've got an entire panorama of what God is doing in Jesus Christ. And I didn't know it until I was doing these sermons right here. This passage about Gideon provides insight into what lies yet ahead, but it does so in perfect accord with what Paul says about Israel in the future as detailed in Romans 9 through 11. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ and that alone that can restore Israel to God. They have completely rejected this as a nation and hard times have come upon them because of this. Even worse times lay ahead. But at some point in the future, the gospel will become perfectly evident to them. They will search the scriptures, realize their error, and turn and call out to God through him. When they do, Israel's going to be restored. This is what the Bible teaches. Israel is not out. The church has not replaced Israel. And full restoration with God will come upon them as a nation. The book is written. The typology is set and it clears up the muddy waters of poor theology for both Jew and Gentile. This is not a surprise to God. Rather, this has been known to him all along. He has it all under control, and everything his word details will come to pass, exactly as it is recorded right there in his word. Let us trust that this is so. On the day that I typed this sermon, Israel was just beginning their raid into Gaza. Regardless as to how the world perceives this, it is a part of their unfolding history, leading them inexorably into the end times, pictured by Midian, the tribulation period. Only then, when they are so broken as a people that there is nothing left for them, will they finally realize what they have missed for so long. In receiving the gospel, they will finally have the peace of Jehovah resting upon them in its fullness. If you do not yet have this peace that passes all understanding, if you have not yet been brought near to God through the offering of his son, all you have to do is believe the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. What I would ask you to do is to believe today. Man, it's all right there. It is all pictured there. I didn't go back and amend any of the previous sermons. I left them as they were, and they all point exactly as you see today in Judges 6. And now when we go through these Gideon sermons, which are 10 of them, every time you see the name Gideon, just think of the gospel, and that entire passage will open up to you. Go ahead and read all of the Gideon verses in the next uh, seven days, and then when we start these sermons, you'll be able to say, "I, I get what's going on. So all you have to do is know what is being pictured. And I actually wrote to ask me, well, who does he picture? And I didn't want to tell her, but I said, I want you to know that there is no neuter gender in Hebrew, but there is in Greek. And I said, that's my clue to you. Now you go and find out if you can figure out what this is picturing. Did you do it? No, she didn't. Okay, that's okay. At least she tried. So I just don't want to give too much away because I want you to think these things through. It's so exciting. And now you have the key. Gideon is the key. Gada, cut off. He's going to cut off their sins. And on that day, they are going to be reconciled to God. But they have seven years of absolute misery coming upon them because they rejected their Savior. And we don't want that to happen to any of us or our family. So get out there and tell people about Jesus. Give them the simple gospel. Hand out a tract to your favorite person at the restaurant you go to. Whatever. Tell people about Jesus. And then tell them to read this word. Tell them to read this word. This is where it's at. Right here. Everything is detailed for us to know if we just look. 
And like I said, I typed a, a sermon this past week, and I was so astonished at what is pictured in there. Uh, it's Judges chapter 9. Let me just take you there really quickly and just read you the beginning, and then see if you can figure any of this out. It, it was the most complicated thing I've done since the uh, sermons of uh, Balaam on his donkey, which I never did figure the typology. I just had to admit, I don't know. But this one I spent all week. I finished the sermon. I printed the sermon off, which is something I never do, and I've been reading it all week long. It finally made sense, and I was able to put it all together in my head. But here we go. Uh, Abimelech's conspiracy. It's where Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem. Okay, it says, then Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, went to Shechem. This is after the tribulation period, ostensibly, because the New King James Version uses the word then. I can tell you that's incorrect, and I won't tell you any more. But I got down through verse 15, and I will be doing 16 through 22 through 21 tomorrow. And I'll put all that together, and then we have another million Abimelech sermons, because it's a real long chapter. But Disregard the word then if you have the New King James Version when you get to that. But read that passage at some point and see if you can figure out what's going on. It is really cool. Anyway, here we go. We got a closing verse from Romans 11, verse 26. Everybody raise your hands and say, oh, yeah. And so all Israel will be saved. Oh, yeah. yeah. Praise the Lord. It is coming. It is coming because the word says it's coming and God is faithful to his covenant promises, even if they are not. They haven't been faithful to him for two minutes of their history, but he has been faithful to them. And what does that tell you about your salvation? Guaranteed. Thank God for Jesus Christ. His shed blood covers all of your sins, all of them, past, present, and future. But don't go sinning just to do it, okay? You're forgiven, but don't push the buttons of the Lord, okay? That's called license, and we do not teach license. Paul doesn't, and so we don't. Okay, Next week is Judges 6, 25 through 32. It will be fun. Yes, so swell. You will see. It's entitled Gideon, Judge of Israel. Part 3. Hey, good job there, Jay, or Jay lookalike. That'll be our 20th Judges sermon. Hey, you got to open us today, and you get to shut us down. Isn't that great? Hey, man, that, that was one cool... Uh, uh, Guitar playing. That was way cool. I, what I want to do, are you going to bring that in again and do that for us sometime? I want to make a little video of it to put on YouTube. Please, do, even if you want to do it again next week, bring it in. I just want to get a little video. I won't be here next week. Whenever. Whenever you can, the Lord willing, bring it in, and I want it filmed. I took a picture of you, and I sent it to the guy that made the guitar, and I said, Dude, why didn't I just take a little film? It only took two minutes. Oh, well, we'll get it next time, unless the Lord takes you or us home first. Okay. You tell him I'll be, I'll be forever grateful. For All right. I, you know what? He's such a nice guy. I just can't tell you who did it, but he's, he's a famous guitar maker. Okay. Um, I got a question for you. This is from Don and Jody's little card, so it's not my question. Get ready, because this is an easy one. Who built an altar to God wherever he went? Ah, very good. He got the hand up and he said it. Okay. You and uh, Rhoda were very close on that hand in speaking, but that's okay. Very good. Um, oh, I didn't tell you what you get today. Abraham. Uh, it doesn't say. These came from um, uh, Katie. Okay. The one last week and this week. And I don't know what it is. It doesn't say, but it looks really good. It looks like she home jarred it. Anyway, let us know if it's good. Okay. That's yours. Something nummy, or as we said when we were young, nummy, nummy, good, good, good. Okay, 
The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who judges his people according to their deeds. So follow him, live for him, and trust him. And he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? I got a poem here for you, Gideon, Judge of Israel, Part 2, reminding you, go read the Gideon sermons and just keep inserting the name or the idea of the gospel every time you read his name, and you will be able to see, before we give those sermons, a tapestry of what is going on during the tribulation period. Then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Give a token that is true. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, a response did not lack. I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour to put in that spot. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot. And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread also and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand. That was pretty neat. And touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat. And the unleavened bread too. Yes, that's right. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord who appeared in that place. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, now one of Israel's famous sites, and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it is still an Ophrah of the Abizarites. Lord God, Turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this precious word. Thank you how it unfolds so perfectly with what's going on in the world around us and how Jesus is displayed in every single picture, on every single page. It just keeps showing us more and more beauty of the work of the Lord that he did on our behalf. Thank you. Thank you that we have a sure anchor in the word that tells us of Jesus, and he is the anchor for our souls. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord, and it's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen.